0: Well, good morning. Welcome all of you here at the Spring Lake Campus, those of you joining us online. I want to invite you to stand. Uh, we're going to worship together in just a minute. If that's new to you, we sing. And when we do that, we connect our head and our hearts that we believe as we worship together that God reveals himself, that the very songs and words we sing we can be an audience to and discover him in it. Let me pray for us and we'll worship together. Lord, I ask whatever our disposition, our posture today that you'd meet us, that you would reveal Jesus, and even in the songs we sing, that there would be a deeper understanding and response to you. God, whether we're searching or whether we're yours, lead us together. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: you reign
2: choose to rest in the truth God that we belong to you God that you welcome us with open arms
3: I feel the shaky. oh I will stand my ground, your presence is enough, let's declare this together, you are with me, and Father you're for me, fear will never conquer me, cause I belong to Jesus, I'm never alone never abandoned i fear you'll never conquer me Cause i belong to jesus do you believe that today Oh, when i feel the pressure i won't run away even in tension the presence is enough in the mystery, oh I will stand my ground. My God, You are enough. You are with me, and Father, You. fall in your name Jesus when the rain fell when the floods came when the wind blew I was okay you were right there you're in every step I take when the night falls when my heart aches if I stumble I will not break you'll be right there you're in every step i take come on church can we declare this together when the rain fell when the floods came when the wind blew i was okay you'll be right there you're in every step i take when the night falls when my heart aches if i stumble i will not break you'll be right Step by step, cause he's our shepherd. Oh, you're my shepherd. Father you for me. This fear will never conquer me. Cause I belong to Jesus. I'm never alone. I'm never abandoned. But fear will never conquer me. Cause I belong to Jesus. Oh, fear will never conquer me. Cause I belong if you will never conquer me, oh, I belong to Jesus.
2: Do you believe that today? And Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I know for me, a lot of times songs bring back memories, right? That when we sing certain songs, it recalls for us a moment or a place in time. Maybe it's something very near and dear to our hearts, you know, like, like, for example, the song, Goodness of God, every time I think of that song, I think of my wedding day because that's the song that my wife Betsy walked down the aisle to. So I'm always filled with thankfulness for God's goodness when we sing that. Or, you know, there's songs where I'll hear it and I'm reminded of a healing that took place, something that I was praying for, uh, for, for a family member, and that song was playing, and, and God worked a miracle, you know, or, or a song that plays that often reminds me of a place where I was in need, where I needed God to move, and he did. You know, just like for us today, how songs bring back memories, it was very much like that for the people of God in the Old Testament. You know, we have this book in the Bible called Psalms, and it's, it's basically uh, an ancient hymnal. It is the hymnal of God's people of the Old Testament. And there's a scripture in the Psalms that talks about God pouring out honey from a rock, And I love that scripture because it's very artistic in nature, like honey from a rock doesn't make sense in our natural mind. But to the people of Israel, the the people of God, it had immense significance because when they sang a phrase like that, they were reminded of when God brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of this bondage and slavery, and he led them through the wilderness to their promised land. And there's a story where while they're traveling through the wilderness, they get really, really thirsty. <laughs> and, they, and they start to complain, and, and they and they ask Moses, who's the leader, uh, Moses, we are so thirsty, we need a drink. And they were in the desert, there was no water around. But God speaks to Moses in that moment, and he says, Moses, I want you to take your rod and to strike the rock, and water will come out. And so in faith, Moses takes his rod following the words of the Lord, and he strikes the rock, and water pours out of this rock, and God ends up providing water to the people of Israel. You know, and there's another story of where they're hungry, and God provides manna for them every day, this bread, this food from heaven, and looking at the water from the rock and the manna on the ground, the Israelites could look back to how God led them through this journey in the wilderness. And be reminded that God is always present, even in places that seem like deserts or droughts to us. (laughs) And eventually, God brought them to the promised land. But the truth is that God's not just leading us to a promised land. God is present with us in our wildernesses. And so we have a new song we want to introduce to you today. And I don't know where you are spiritually today. Maybe you are feeling like you're in a little bit of a wilderness season right now where you believe in God for some things and you're just not tangibly experiencing that. But my encouragement to you is as we sing this song today, let's just release forth our faith to the Lord, rely that Jesus Christ is seated on the throne, that he wants to move in our lives, and let's just trust in his name together. Sound good? Let's sing this song together. It's called Honey in the Rock.
4: There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, man on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need, you've got. There's honey in the rock. Pray Satisfied Sweetness And the mercy Seed now I've tasted It's not hard to see Only you can satisfy There's There's honey in the rye There's honey in the rye There's honey in the rye there's sunny
5: As we go to our time of prayer, that is our prayer, that we would learn to trust in God and in his direction. I remember when I was a teenager, my grandmother sat me down, and she gave me a verse, two verses in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I never forgot that. God has not let me down that whisper, that direction in times of need, in times of joy, knowing He's there and He's with you. If you don't know that sweetness, if you don't know that grace, the most powerful prayer that you can pray is simply, I surrender. Jesus, I trust You with my life, with my future, with my soul. I surrender. And our prayer is that if you don't have that relationship with Christ, that you would discover that even here today, that you would continue to seek him in his direction. If you have a need, great or small, and you are leaning in and saying, God, I need to trust you in this area of my life. It could be physical, could be emotional relationships, could be in finances. Whatever need that you've brought in here today, if you would like to be prayed over, I'm just going to ask you to find a seat where you're at. If you're watching online, find a posture. We want to pray for you today. But you'll have others who will gather around, put a hand on your shoulder, and we just want to go before our Father whom we can trust. Lord God, we confess as your people that there are times when we take matters into our own hands where we like to be in control and we try to do things on our own we guide our own steps and lord over and over again we wind up failing and we are reminded today that we just simply need to surrender and say yes to you and for those who are making that step even now lord who are just Saying, Lord, I don't know where I'm at in my life, but I trust my future to you. Lord, I surrender. Come into my life and make me new. Help me to become a follower of Jesus Christ as you lead the way in my life. And God, for those needs that are here today, great or small, I just pray that they would sense your spirit even now coming and drawing near to them and reminding them that you are with them in all of this, that you do have direction, and there are things that you want to do. We pray for miracles. We pray for healing. We pray for hope. We pray for restoration and renewal. God, whatever those needs are, great and small, we pray that even now you would begin and continue to move and answer our prayers. And God, we are thankful that we can gather here today as your people, the body of Christ, the assembly called the church the people of God, but Lord, we are just one expression of the church. And so we want to lift up other churches in our community. And today we want to pray for Fruitport Christian Reformed and God that you would help them to, to lean in and trust you. And Lord, that you would guide their church and their ministries and their leadership. And Lord, that we would see people come to Christ through their ministry in this community. And God, We pray for the global church. And today we just want to lift up Steinhardt's who are serving you in Europe and caring for all of our missionaries and the missionary families in Europe and just the many needs that they encounter and how they just come alongside and pray and lift up and encourage. And so, Lord, we pray for Steinhardt's today and for their ministry and the ministry that's happening in Europe as they are reaching out digitally and through social media to bring people to Christ. And God, again, we just thank you for this opportunity that we can gather together today. And I pray that throughout this service, we would continue to hear your whisper as we continue to lean in and trust you even more. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, if you're here in Spring Lake, you can have a seat want to thank those who are joining us online today and want to let you know, if you're a guest with us here today, uh, we just want to say welcome. Uh, if you haven't had an opportunity yet to, uh, to receive a gift, uh, we have a gift for you out at the, uh, out these doors to my left. It's a connection point, uh, we call it, and there's information about our church. And if you have questions or you want to get connected with us and know more about All Shores, you can simply fill out a connection card online... And the way to do that is there's a QR code in your seat back in front of you. Just take out your phone and use that and you can fill that out. Uh, If you're a regular attender and you have questions or things that you want to know about or prayer requests that you have, take the time to fill that out as well. And as a guest and those of you who are regular attenders, uh, we have something new today. This is a fifth Sunday. And so there's four throughout the year. And so we designated uh, Outreach Sundays um, on the fifth Sundays. And so... Uh, those of you who brought food for our food pantry, uh, there's a drop-off box out in the lobby, and thank you for helping with that. We do a food pantry here on Mondays, connected with love and action, and uh, and we provide for people in need in our community It just is one simple way that we do that. But uh, if you forgot to bring items with you, uh, You can bring them every week. So you don't have to wait for fifth Sundays, but we need to replenish our food pantry. And so thank you for helping us to do that. We also want to highlight our global ministry on Outreach Sunday. And so we have a new display out in the lobby and we have postcards of our 14 different partners that we have and information about our global giving. And as we go into our time of tithes and offerings, I want to thank you. For how you give to the Ministry of all Shores and all three campuses, and there are ways that you can give there's a there 's an offering box by each of the uh, exit doors that you can drop off your offering. you can also give online. I believe there 's a number that you can text on the screen behind me, so multiple ways to give, and thank you those of you who are a part of all Shores and do this as a part of your worship. let me challenge you, and of course, I, I feel like I can do this as the global outreach pastor here. We don't fund our missionaries through that general giving. It's a separate fund that we ask people to give to. And uh, I was doing the numbers for if every person who attends or calls all shores home, if every person gave twenty dollars a month to our global outreach fund, we would double what we give right now globally. And so I just want to challenge you. If you are not a regular giver to our global outreach fund, I want to challenge you to do that. There's information out there and Uh, There will be people uh, from our missionary care team that will be out there after the service. They'll be wearing a tag that looks like this. And so take the time. Ask questions if you want to know where does that go, who does it support. So thank you for giving. Thank you for what you are doing. Um, We have announcements, things going on in the life of the church. So take a look at the screen for this week's announcement.
6: Hey church, we are passionate about helping people take steps deeper into the life of our church. And one of the best ways that we do that is through a process called the journey. And the journey is a four-step process that you walk through different ways that you can take steps um, into the life of our church. and. Whether you have started that process with steps one and two or whether you haven't started any of them, we're having a special opportunity Monday, May 8th from 630 to 830 where we are combining steps three and four. And like I said, whether you've started the journey or whether you haven't at all, we would love to invite you to join us for step three and four of the journey Monday, May 8th. And the reason those two steps are so important for the life of our church is because step three is all about abiding, how we personally connect with God. And step four is about missional living, how we take what God is doing inside us and spread it to the world. And we feel like those are key to not only who it is to be a part of all shores, but who it is to follow. God. And so if you want to join us, that'll happen in West 200, we would love for you to let us know that you want to participate in that. All you have to do is register at allshores.org slash the journey.
0: Welcome those of you joining us online, those of you here in our Spring Lake campus. And at the 9 a.m. hour, we always welcome our Muskegon and Coopersville campuses because they join us for the message at that time. And you probably don't know this, many of you may not, but it is our four-year anniversary with Muskegon uh, just this last week. So we want to celebrate that. Yeah. And I simply want to remind you, if you don't know, the reason we have multiple campuses is because people in those communities have been part of us, and it's a way we engage in the community and help them to reach their friends, neighbors, and love the very community they're a part of. So that gives us a picture of that. I'm going to invite you to pray uh, in just a minute. We always do before the message, but I was reminded uh, after Easter of just, it's fun to find out when God's moving and what he does, and we don't often get to hear about it. So on Easter, we actually asked, invited people to respond in a way that we got some feedback on it, which was great, and found people came to Christ, people were baptized, and people even recommitted. There was one story in particular of two individuals that were part of a family that were so fired up about Jesus that they contacted someone they knew from church, then contacted one of the other pastoral staff, and they were out at their house that afternoon baptizing them in their hot tub. I said, that was awesome that these people went from discovering to growing. Yeah, you should celebrate it. And to me, it's an evidence of what our hope is, which is that God speaks to you when we open the scriptures. It's not about information or even persuasion, but we ask that God meets you, that he speaks to you, that he awakens you, that he grows you. So I want to invite you to pray in the quiet. Whatever your disposition today, whether you're here in doubt, in struggle, in skepticism, whether you'd say you're growing in Christ, or you'd say, yeah, I'm somewhat stagnant, I'm stuck, whatever the posture Just bring it to God, whether you're broken and hurting, whether you're doing well, whatever it is, you speak to him honestly and ask him to speak to you, and then I'll pray for us together. Lord, I thank you that you are the God of revelation. I confess that you are Lord, and you are King, and you are God. And I thank you that you love and care for each person among us watching online, one that's all watch later, that you care and you want to speak. So I'm just asking that nothing would hinder that. Lord, if anything I have to say is not of you, let it fall to the ground and be forgotten. But I pray whatever is from you that your spirit would awaken us Breathe life into us, give hope to us, forgiveness, goodness, grace, kindness, purpose. And Lord, I pray even that you do it directly. Maybe you don't even want to use what it is we're speaking about. Would you speak and let us be ones that listen, Lord? I pray now the words I do speak and the way we respond in our hearts and actions would please you, our rock, and our redeemer. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in this series, we've titled Who is Jesus? We're looking at how the early church saw him, how Jesus was seen right after his resurrection, what we can gain by looking back and seeing him as he is. That is the intention and desire. And to get us started, I want to show to you an elephant. Not because elephants never forget, not because they're ginormous, not because of 18 other things I would like to say. But elephants are often used, especially as it comes to Faith and looking at God as a metaphor, one that's commonly used in our culture, which is kind of the idea of there's the whole elephant, but often different expressions of religion see different parts. Like maybe this one sees just the leg here. And so it describes one way because it's all it sees. Maybe another one sees the, the, the basic trunk coming around. One sees the back or the ears or the tusks, the strength of it. And then the idea and the metaphor is that if you step back, you see it all. So it's Kind of this adage of everybody has part of it, nobody has all of it. That's the simple idea. I'm not opting for it. I'm saying it's a common way of people talking about religion and about faith. And and the difficulty, this is just a side note, but I want to relate this back to the times of the early church. Uh, The funny thing is most people that espouse this have very little understanding of any faith in particular. They just step back and act like we see it all from a distance. And so that's just an interesting side note, no extra charge, but it's a breakdown in the metaphor. The reason I use it, though... Is because in the ancient world, in the time that Jesus rose, and in particular in these early Roman cities, there were lots of expressions of religion. And people would have had this idea, kind of like an elephant. There's all these different ways of seeing, and maybe this one sees part and this one does. And what they did was they syncretized them. So they take this thing from one piece and this thing from another, it was very commonly held. And in case you don't know, I'll just give you an example of there were temples, every city had different temples. And they were two different expressions of God, different deities. So there were temples of love that could be everything from passion to pure sexuality that they were expressed and validated there. There were temples for healing and health. There were temples for war and power. There were governmental temples in the sense of the leaders tended to be exalted and seen as a deity. And that government reigned over everything. And the list goes on and on and on, lots of expressions. In fact, the early church was almost seen as, by their definition, atheist, because they only had one God. Now, now here's the part I want you to understand before we get into the letter, and who is Jesus? Is in this city, Colossae, there were some things that were starting to shift, that people were adopting other aspects, sometimes incorporating into following Jesus, sometimes even outside of it. And one of them, in particular, was something they called angelic worship. They were beginning to worship angels good or bad, and thinking that was almost like a charm. Like they came alongside of Jesus. There were different expressions. And there were leaders that had gained impact. And people were becoming confused. That's a simple way to say it. And so Paul writes this letter to clarify, hey, let me clarify who Jesus is. And that's what we're going to look at today is who Jesus is. And hopefully it will be impacting for us. I want to say this before I get into it because... The statements we're going to read are really powerful statements. They're, I mean, they're huge. They're not nice thinking statements. They're passionate, powerful, universal statements. And I always think uh, they're easy things for us to just ponder kind of dispassionately. But if what we believe is true, wouldn't it be more than passionate about it? If we get to discover who God is, and he's this great and this amazing. So I want you to take these things, and as you hear them, challenge yourself. Am I kind of thinking about this and setting away my passion or my excitement just for a, always, oh, what does this fact mean? And, and think of it this way. Do you get pumped about anything? I'm asking you to answer. Do you get pumped about anything? Yeah. Are there times where you act kind of odd, and you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm so pumped about it. Yeah. Right. But we get to this door and we're like, "Eh, check that back there, not gonna happen. I am not asking you to manufacture it. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If you see something that we're talking about it and you think it should be profound to you, why don't you just ask God to to waken you to it? Hey God, would you help me understand just how amazing this is? That's all I'm asking for. Can you do that for me? Good. All right, so we're gonna take this up in Paul's writing, what he's writing to this church. And this, in case you don't know, is considered to be a hymn. It means this was something that... At least fragments of it were sung and talked about regularly. They're things that people understood to kind of recalibrate and focus them on who Jesus really is and what it means to center them as followers of him. So we begin in Colossians 1, verse 15. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Now I want to take this in two sections and just consider the Son as the image of the invisible God. Because Paul is making it very clear right here, Jesus is not a kind of junior partner or representative. Jesus is the exact representation of God. In other words, when Jesus came, we saw God. Now, that's very important for us as followers for a couple of reasons. One is, Jesus often is in kind of our amalgamated view of Christianity. Jesus is one among many or one among others that we, yeah, he does great things. And people will talk about him that way as he's a great teacher and he really loved people. And, but they don't really, they haven't looked closely because <laughs> the claims are he's God. And what I want you to, to understand from this is Paul is saying if we want to know God, we look to Jesus. He shows us who God is. Now, I realize in our modern culture this is offensive in lots of ways because people hate anything that excludes other religions or beliefs. And I'm not, I'm not asking you to fight it that way. I'm asking you to go, if it's true, which I believe it is, that Jesus is fully God and revealed God himself, isn't that what we want to pay attention to? Like if God showed who he is in completeness, where do you want to go? That's where I want to go. So the fact that we have disagreements is not A fight, it's a reality. Do we believe this or not? Are we going to discover who he is? And Paul saying, you want to know everything about our faith? We look to Jesus. We want to know who he is. We want to discover him because Jesus is the very image of God. When people say, how can I know God? How can I know who he is? We say one word, Jesus. And then we pursue who he is, right? We'll come back to that, but I don't want you to miss it. Now, the second part is where we get in trouble Because we hear the firstborn over all of creation, and in our minds we think firstborn. Jesus was born of the Father. That means he's not always been, always will be, those kinds of things. He was first at a time. That is not what this means, and that's what I want to be clear on, because what it does mean is pretty powerful, and what it doesn't mean confuses us. I'm just going to take you to one example. This is from the Psalms. It's describing how the Hebrew mind saw firstborn. I don't mean in a family. It says this in the Psalms, I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of kings on the earth. Firstborn, to be that, is to have the authority, the rule and reign of the other. In other words, when Jesus is firstborn, it means he has authority and power and always was. It doesn't mean he was created. It means he's the one with authority and sovereignty And power, and Paul's about to explain it. I just don't want you to miss, he's gonna use this word firstborn twice, and what he's saying is Jesus is over all this. Jesus is the one who did it, who made it happen, and who it's for. Listen to how Paul describes what this means when he says Jesus is the firstborn of creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, one of the things he's answering here is that they were thinking angels were the same status. He's saying things of heaven and earth. He's reminding us God's the one who made those things. Angels aren't equal with him. This was a big problem in the early church. They kept elevating other beings. No, no, that's not true. But he's also saying, uh, by the way, Jesus made everything. So that means it's from him. Jesus made it through him. And who's it for? It's for him. He finally exclaims it this way to give it all. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is what Paul's saying. Listen, Jesus is the God of creation, of everything that has ever been, it came from him, he was before it. It came through him, he spoke it, and it came to being, and it's there for him. You realize that's a huge statement. So so just think about where we live. We live in a beautiful area, don't we? I mean, and as much as we complain, you get the seasons, you go, isn't snow amazing? I know not for as long as it is and not as much. Aren't the leaves beautiful when they turn? Isn't the fall and the breeze and the color? Isn't the water and the, I mean, you look at creation and you go, this is what Paul's saying. Jesus made all of that. All of it. You look in the cosmos, he made that. You look around the universe, he made that. In other words, Jesus is the firstborn. He's the authority over The designer of the one it came through and the one it's made for. So this is a simple way to understand it. If we are made, we're made for him, which means the only way we'll find purpose is to him. He made us for him. Now, this isn't like a selfish, narcissistic make. He made us for him creatively so we can be his and be with him. That's the first part of what Paul's saying. Hey, you got all these sorts of ways, and we domesticate God like nobody's business, and we still do it today. You know, we might not build temples, but we fashion Jesus and say he must have these qualities or those qualities, and we build our own temples temples of power, temples of comfort, temples of getting ahead, temples of life going well. Temples of success and a pain-free living, and even of moralism, and we say those are all part of Jesus. Don't you wonder what it is we've acculturated and missed? I mean, think of most of the things that we tend to put on Jesus' shoulders, and then consider just the very fact that he made everything over all of history, not just over the world, but over the universe. You realize that we're one small dot in one small amount of time with one small disposition. Could it be that we need to start letting go of these little nuances we somehow think Jesus is all about? And I'm asking you to consider it in your own lives. You're probably thinking, oh, I'm going to tell some other people this. I mean internally. Internally. Because Paul's telling us, all of us, you miss the greatness of who he is and you make him less by how we domesticate and even fashion him in a way that he must move. A, if you decided Jesus move, must move a certain way in a certain line, we're in trouble. And that's what he's doing. He's making him bigger. Because the bigger he is, the less you can control him. Amen? The less you want to and the more you realize, why was I even thinking I would know this? It's kind of a humbling posture. He's the maker of the universe and I'm sitting here going, why haven't you moved this way? Why are these people... Why? Oh, my goodness, I'm lost. See the greatness of him, it changes everything. Paul's building the first case. Firstborn of all creation, you want to see God, you see Jesus. That's where he started. And by the way, you want to know who Jesus is? He's before all things. In him, everything is made that has been made, and everything's made for him. So who's at the center? Jesus. Now, we'll come back to that, but let's remember, we have a very hard time not having ourselves be the center. Yes, we do, Peter. Yes, we do. I think that's true. I think for sure. Okay. We'll keep going. Now he's going to flip to a second act, kind of a second part of being firstborn. He is also head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Now, it will overall we'll come back to firstborn, but I want to start with him being the head of the body of the church. And and you know, we can picture it metaphorically, the idea that the head, obviously, when you think of a body, in the Jewish mind, this was even more about source, meaning it's the lifeblood, it's the source. In other words, the head, as God is to us, is not just our source, but our destination. So he's both the one who helps us and the one we want to ultimately be with and before. He's the head of the body. F- Philip Yancey, some years ago, shared a story from his own experience that I think probably in a, just a strong way, it's a hard way, gives image to how we struggle with this actually being true. He tells a story of a young woman he got to know who had cerebral palsy. Her mind was pure and, I mean, really well wired and oiled, and she was brilliant. Nobody saw it because of her physical limitations and always considered her to be somewhat struggling And here's what happens with that illness. And this is what he came to see was how long it took her even to fashion writing something and having others communicate it. What they saw was the disconnect to her very body made people not know what was really in her mind and her heart and who she was and the greatness of her. And I tell you that because I get very concerned in the life of the church that Jesus is not really our head we are fashioned by so many other voices telling us who he is and what he is and what he is not and how we're to see this that I think it's very hard for us to actually be the body because we have a very hard time letting him be the source. Can we agree we are independent contractors for the most part? We don't even mind being constituents. We're constituents of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times people will say to me things like, oh, you know, Jesus would never do it that way. I would never follow him if he did. And it's like, that's a weird response. You can be angry, but if God is really God of all, you don't get to be the judge of what you think is right or wrong. You realize that's silly, isn't it? We kind of fashion him in our own making. That's not reasonable. It couldn't be him. And there are two poles I see happening for us that make it hard for him to be the head for us. One is kind of this cultural Jesus we've made which is like Jesus endorses everything and loves everything and just wants us all to feel good and it's all fine and really nothing's all that bad. He took care of it anyway. We kind of basically say he made us the way we are. Our brokenness isn't really brokenness. Then there's this other side where we are highly ready to fight about what's not him and not his, but we tend to think only of things we don't like that might be even aspects of who he is, but not the fullness of who he is. And so we're kind of hyped up and occupied. We better point out all the errors because if we don't point them out, Jesus isn't going to get where he wants to get. I know he's the head, but I took a little time here. I, I know it should happen. I, I was really convicted of this this week just in my own quiet. It had nothing to do with the message. I'm in, I'm in Luke right now in my own just quiet time. And this is a time that Jesus walks in with some Pharisees and he's in, it's on the Sabbath. And and it says the Pharisees watched watched him carefully. And it literally means they were looking out to catch him doing something wrong. And all it says about Jesus is he looked and saw the people there suffering, the pain and suffering. That's what he paid attention to. And I realized in my own fervor for him, I often look for people that say they represent him and what they're doing wrong to constantly point it out. Instead of looking at him and being occupied with those that need him. I'm occupied with correcting other people constantly. Do you see the two things that get dangerous for us? Can you see if he's the head and the source? Maybe we wouldn't be so preoccupied the way we are with all the things we are fighting for and worrying about. Maybe if we actually got to know who he is, we'd feel more confident not to worry about all the constant battles and bickering that go on around us it just concerns me that I don't think we've grabbed this well. And I say that for myself too. He again says he's the firstborn, the beginning among the dead, meaning resurrection, new life happens through him. So we have the creation that he's overseen, that he's done, it's for him. The creation goes into decay because of our desire to be him instead of his, and it sets off all of creation into a disparity and a decline. And now it says he's coming to now restore. By the way, one of the things he wants to restore is us to be made in his image. So just remember this Jesus is the second Adam. He's now walking through humanity as we're intended to walk, and he's modeling it for us and then giving us his spirit to help us live that way. You realize how cool that is, right? Firstborn of creation, firstborn of resurrection. And by the way, he's the new Adam for us to follow and live like. Oh, you want to know how to live? Live like him. Walk like him. Love like him. Depend like him. I mean, it's pretty cool when you get the picture of what Paul trying to say. It's supreme. Don't settle for something less. He continues, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. We limit Jesus' bloodshed to our freedom if we respond to his forgiveness. We don't realize that's for all of creation and for beings above heaven and on the earth and beneath the earth. You realize that's amazing, don't you? Yeah. Like they're angelically worshiping and, and Paul's saying, hey, even the angels, Jesus' death and resurrection bring something new there too. All of creation is being changed. Oh, come on, that's crazy wild. Yeah. And I think because we don't see it the way we think it should be, we either think it's not happening or somehow people are missing it the wrong way. And I'm telling you, the way God moved was not, he's a king. Don't forget this. He is the king, and yet he displays his kingship by sacrificial, humble, painful, surrendered love out of the things we most did to betray him. You realize that's different than any king we would ever think of, right? That's what Paul's giving us a picture of. The king is way greater than you think. He's the firstborn. He's the authority over everything. Oh, and by the way, he's the authority through how he's redeeming and changing everything to bring peace, to bring new hope and reconciliation. And then he kind of reminds us of our journey. You were once alienated from God. Were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and freed from accusation. One of the things I love about our movement in the Wesleyan Church, and every movement brings great things, is we actually believe the Holy Spirit wants to change us, make us more like Jesus. When he's saying he desires to do this so we're presented holy and blameless, he's saying what Jesus wants is not just to us to be broken vessels, but to be broken vessels that are filled with him and being changed to be more like him. In other words, God wants us to move and become more like Jesus as we walk through life. I know you thought you had a good purpose, but I'm telling you, that's better than anything you could do. You want to be the most successful person on the planet? Nothing like becoming more like Jesus and being the destiny who follows the king and is made for him because that is short selling yourself. You want all the things in your life to go well and you have the best marriage and the best kids or the best single life. And never get you what you want. His, him at the center, following that purpose is something we never can get apart from him. That's what Paul's saying. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Do you realize it's not contingent on whether you do very well in life or you struggle in life financially. It's not about whether you have a position of high regard by others or low position by others. In fact, I love how James talks about it. He goes, listen, when you think you have a high position, you have a low position. When you think you have a low position, you have a high position. And the reason is those who struggle tend to realize their need more. That's why God elevates because he goes, you get your desperation. Those who do well have to actually put it aside and go, listen, for all you have, you're not really better than anyone else. I'm going to say that again. You are not better than anyone else. And you are not worse than anyone else. You are an image bearer of the king. And the destiny he has for you is yours. And it is good. Whew. Come on, that's what he's saying. It's powerful, isn't it? And I will tell you this, the older I get as a Christian, the more I am convinced of this. I, I am amazed at people who are highly disciplined on their own. And I'm not, that's a good thing. The danger when you rely on your own discipline is you think you did it. So for people who are highly disciplined, they have to go, Lord, help me not to rely on myself. And then for those of us who struggle, we need to desperately say, I need your help, and then we still need to know what you're telling us to do. We don't get to go, I get a pass, I'm just bad, he's going to move me along the path. Like, partnerships is really confusing. But that's what I know. Most of my prayers, when I have things revealed to me, are, Lord, I don't know how to change that, but I want that. When I was sitting in Luke 14 this week, and I'm realizing I have religious leadership mindset where I'm judging other people and churches and ways people think, I want to have the mind of Christ that looks for the people struggling and just ignore the other stuff and be much more kind to it. And I can't do that apart from saying, God, would you help my mind shift? Would you help me to see what you see instead of seeing what I see? Would you help me to get out of the things that constantly are comparing and contrasting and fighting and dismayed? Because the more I focus on you, I think the less those things get to me. But I can't do it alone. you with me? I just want you to get the picture because that's what he's saying. And then he gives him this final kind of encouragement and caution. Listen, you continue in your faith. You stand firm. You don't move from the Jesus we discover when we first know him. You be established and firm. You don't move. It means you don't kind of adapt this other part of faith where I need Jesus, but it has to be a certain way. It has to be the way of my culture. It has to be the way of my own certain values of what's going to go on in power and how the how things work around us. None of that is part of this. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I love that. You know what Paul said? And Paul had a lot going for him. Listen, Paul as elevated in Roman culture because he's a naturalized citizen. He's a high-achieving religious Jew, and he's attained high regards in that. And he's really living in the best of both worlds with the two cultures. And he goes, none of it. I'm just a servant of God. And God tells him, you're going to suffer and you're going to struggle, and Paul goes, bring it on. Whatever it means to have you as king, that's what I want. Because he's so enamored with Jesus as king. And can we just agree we don't bow for anyone or anything? It's really hard for us. We want Jesus to be our buddy. We even want him to be our help. But man, to just say, You're my king, whatever it means, whatever comes, that's all I want. It's for you. What do you want? It's for you. What do you want? I can live for you. What do you want? I don't know about you, that's a pretty shocking reality for me. Like I want it, but I often think all oh, the things I don't get to have it or the things I have to let go of to live in it. I'd say it very simply this way. We, when we look at Jesus, we see God. You, you want me to help you understand how we know and live and follow our creator? We look to Jesus. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of Jesuses proclaimed in our culture these days, that are not him. There are Jesus of radical endorsement of everything you can imagine. There are Jesus of certain powers and certain governance that are not of him and certain ways that are not of him. And we are so busy discovering who he's not, we're not seeing who he actually is. And I always say, I wish I could disentangle all of us from all of these things. And all I know to say is, I'm going to keep pointing to him. I'm going to keep pointing to him. I'm going to keep pointing to him. And say, are we getting to know him as he is, not as many espouse him to be? Which they add their own thing to it. Can you just say amen to that? Because I know it's true. Thank you. It is true. I, I'm, I mean, this is a heartache for me, watching what I'm fighting against with you to hi- us discover him. And I cry out for it because I don't want it either for me. I want to tell you, give you two pictures from this, and then i give you a simple application. I told you this was a hymn, and it did become a hymn, and there's unique roles that hymnody has played in the life of the church through all its history, and I'm not talking about what kinds of songs, you just, these, these epic pieces. So if you go back to our heritage as Wesleyans, which I realize some of you might even be new, but John and Charles Wesley were the founders of this movement. They came out of the, uh, really, the Church of England, and one of the things that happened for them was they wrote tons of songs, Charles in particular, and songs that have stayed. And all, and all those songs were the depth of who Jesus is. But this happened in their followers too. Those, those priests that came beside them and after them continued to live this way because they modeled this idea that we want this woven into our fabric, not just something we write about or talk about, but something that's sung from the depth of who we are inside so I want to take you back to a man that was one of their early kind of followers and, and in their climate in the church. Uh, his name was Perronet, which I always, all I can think of is Ross Perot when I hear it. I don't even know why. Hey, hey, John and Paul. John, John, John and Paul, that's the Beatles. John and Charles. Anyway, good old, his name wasn't Ross either It was something else, I don't even remember what it was. Just Perronet. This is the evil of my mind. I'm sorry, this is my brokenness. Jesus died for this, too. I think he kind of laughs. But. So, so this Paranay that was a part of it, one of the things they did uh, when they were discipling was John regularly, if, the, if one of the priests came to the event, would ha- say, hey, you're going to preach tonight. And he did this to Paranay at on one occasion. You need to preach. And Paranay said, like, I don't have anything to say. He goes, no, you need to preach. And it went on for quite a while. And he, the guy finally gave in and stood up. He, and this is what Paranay said. I'm going to give you the best message you've ever heard. And then he just read the Sermon on the Mount. Because from them and from his own disciples, he learned Jesus was at the center. This guy would go on to write a song, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Which really fits this text, actually. And that song would end up having significant impact throughout history since it's writing. Let me tell you two stories from that song. One of them is a missionary named Scott. And he was in an area that was tribal and was quite barbaric and killing people that came in. And he said, I'm supposed to go here and be with them. And as he gets in, he's surrounded by a group, the Scott gentlemen, and they're, they're ready to take him out. And he doesn't know what to do. He has a violin with him. He picks it up, and he begins to play and sing, All hail the power of Jesus' name, as he closes his eyes.
1: All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem. And crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem. And crown him Lord of all.
0: As he's saying that, he was just waiting with his eyes closed to open him in heaven. As he's saying that, he had no illusion that the kingship of Jesus would necessarily intervene in any way. He just knew it was real whether he saw it or not. But they all froze. And for some reason, they welcomed him in. They didn't respond at that moment, but in the days and weeks ahead, every one of them would discover who Jesus is and follow him. Because the hymn lived in this dude, and God moved in it. Now, I'm not saying that always brings freedom and breakthrough. Let me tell you one other story about an elderly woman who on her deathbed... Followed Christ and loved Him, and, and as her family's around her, the only thing that she could say was "bring." And she keeps saying it, and they're frustrated. They don't know what she's asking for. What does she want us to bring? What does she wants to do? One had a memory of a handkerchief she regularly kind of shook when they were in worship, and said, "Maybe it's that." They bring it. She's just frustrated. Bring. All she could say was "bring." They bring a Bible. Not that. Bring. I mean, there were three or four things they brought, and finally, out of some miraculous strength, she busted the rest of the phrase. Bring forth a royal diadem. Now, in case you don't know what that means, a diadem is a crown. And the statement in the song is just bring forth the crown of royalty because that's who's king, Jesus. And in her dying moments, that's what she wanted. It wasn't going to save her from the death. It was going to usher her in to life that could not be contained. I want you to understand that when we see him as he is, something changes for us. Hymns, not meaning you have to even necessarily treat them that way, are the fabric inside of us of truth that we can't help but sing about him because it's something greater than we could express just through words. That's what Paul did here. And and it's a simple thing I say is, man, I just want you to pursue knowing Jesus. You know, I I don't know what it looks like in your lives. We we tell you regularly, I mean, there is no substitute for discovering Jesus in the scriptures because the written word reveals the living word. And we have four accounts of his life, death, and resurrection, and all through the New Testament. And even the Old Testament, we would say Jesus is marvelously revealed before he ever walks the earth. But how can you know him when we never study and discover him in the scriptures? And I want to tell you, that's alone and together. And then I just want to give you this one other thought that I think might be helpful that Jesus gave us, which he said, when you've done things to the least of these, you've done it to me. In other words, when you're with those who are most forgotten, most forsaken, most struggling, mostly a mess, somehow we see them in it. Wouldn't it be crazy if we discovered more of them just helping people that are really struggling and far from Him, That are forgotten, that are in prison, that are in great poverty, in great struggle, and we just run past it. Now, we have things that can be helpful to you. We have the journey coming up here in Spring Lake on May 8th, that Monday night. Those are great steps. I am asking you, would you explore him? That's all I want for you. Now, I want to pray for us, and then we'll have communion as a place to do it. But I want to do this when I pray today. And I'm going to get on my knees. It's, it's another practice for me. Um, we don't bow to anything, do we, in our culture? And I'm just telling you, as people that don't understand royalty, sometimes the posture of just kneeling does something in us that nothing else can do. Like, Why don't you take, why don't you take your knees sometimes and just respond to God this way. So I'm going to pray for us this way as kind of an act of reminding you, and this is how we discover the greatness of him. We bow. Because he's God and we're not. You get that, don't you? So let me pray for us. Lord, I, uh, as I pray at the beginning, I can't reveal anything or make this apply to people, but I know you can. So God, we humble ourselves high on behalf of us say you are God, you are king, you are the firstborn of all creation and the firstborn of resurrection and new life. And God, we want to know you. We want to follow you. We want to be yours. We want to be fulfilled in you and be changed by you and reflect your image as your spirit helps us. So whatever you want to do, would you do that today? Even as we worship, whether you meet us in our brokenness or you meet us in our arrogance, meet us and help us be yours. I pray this in your name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to worship and celebrate communion. And this is a place we leave space that God might speak to you however he wants as we sing and as we participate in communion together.
4: down every line every down this is my surrender and I will make room for you to do whatever you want to to do whatever you want to yeah I will
0: Just for a few minutes. We have communion cups. Hopefully, you got those when you came in. If you didn't, uh, you still can any week. We do this every week. And we say communion's open to anybody who wants to respond to Jesus. There's not a membership expectation or a secret handshake or even the way you open it. Top layer is the bread, the bottom layer is the cup. And we follow in the belief that when we do this, Jesus introduces freshly grace to us. Just the idea we kind of remember and live into the reality of our need for his kingship and life in us, that he is the firstborn of redemption. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke, and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body, and it is given for you. He came to redeem all of creation in the flesh, and we received that. Let's take of the bread. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins, We're reminded there's no forgiveness without his bloodshed. And the crazy part that I always love is when you share a cup, you share a destiny. That we share of the cup because we are his sons and daughters. And we're called to bring others to become that as well. Let's take of the cup. So Lord, meet us freshly with your grace. God, shake loose the things that are not of you and disentangle them for us that you and you alone would be our focus and our aim. I pray this in your name. Amen. Let me have you stand as we sing and declare these truths together. Shake
4: up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of my religion. Your way is better. Yeah, your way is better. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Yeah, your way is better. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Spend
0: Is when God made you, He fashioned you uniquely like no one else. And He loved how He made you. And being His is saying, Whatever you have for me is the best. That's what I want. I want to discover what you have. I want to be yours. I want to live for you. You're the one I want to be king. Not me, not somebody else. That's what we're discovering together and elevating Him to see him as he is. Let me have you place your hands out and give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with his spirit. (laughs) May you increasingly know him as the firstborn of creation, the Lord over it in him, through him and for him all things are made. May you know him as the firstborn of the resurrection, (laughs) redeeming and loving us into new life and filling us with his spirit to bring peace and life to all of his creation. May you live this out in the name of the Father, the Son,
1: and the Holy Spirit.